Please stand as you're able for the reading of God's word. Reading today is Exodus chapter five through five one through six um, one through thirteen. Because this is a longer text, the words will be projected on the screen behind me. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, "Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel." Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves where you can find it for your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet you say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you. You must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, 
the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I can also say thanks be to Fred for reading a long passage. Thank you, Fred. I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning, particularly if you're new or visiting. This is a, a season of the year when we have a lot of people moving to town, coming through town. Glad to have you with us today, whether it will be your only time or maybe you're checking out to see what church community is like. We'd love to get to know you, uh, so welcome. And you're joining us today as we're making our way early on in a series through the book of Exodus uh, that we're calling Out of Darkness into Light, hoping to get through this first section up to the Ten Commandments, the deliverance of God's people, uh, by the time that Advent rolls around here. Now we're looking at how God, in His ways, delivers us out of darkness and into light. Uh, so that we might see the ways that God does that in our own lives. And as Exodus shows us, that's often not the way we expect. It's not in the time we expect. And it's often much greater than we could possibly imagine it being. Last week, we looked at how God would start to bring his people into freedom through something that they did not expect. He was showing Moses in the burning bush and the command to go back to Egypt that the way to freedom, not just for God's people, but for Moses, who had been living as this exile far from home for some 40 years, that the way to those things would not be hiding from difficulty, but would be embracing uncertainty and vulnerability, and that God does the exact same thing in our lives. To have more freedom, we have to step into vulnerability and uncertainty, which is a place that God unquestionably meets us. And those things are not just the path to freedom we saw, but actually free in themselves. They're scary, but they're where our souls start to breathe free air, because then we're being who God calls us to be, not just who they will let us be. Today, we get to see how God moves from showing Moses and Aaron the way to freedom, to inviting them and all the people to lift up their heads and see it, to anticipate its coming. 
It's a bit of a bumpy ride to get there, as the text lays out. Things get worse here, not better, which is often true in our own lives and following God, that sometimes things do get worse before they get better. But God keeps stubbornly pushing hope forward in these chapters. And I want to look at how God does that for us, how he calls us into a stubborn hope by looking at three things. First, how Pharaoh takes away hope in chapter 5 how God gives it back in chapter 6, and how the people struggle to hold on in verse 9 of chapter 6. So how Pharaoh takes away hope, how God gives it back, and how the people continue to struggle. Before we do that, would you bow your heads and pray with me as we ask God to fill up our hearts and our time. Yeah, we come now having heard your word shared with us that you spoke these things long ago, not just for a people far away and back through the ages, but that they would be written down for us too. That there's something in here that's important for us today, that whatever our journey has been, that you may have found us like Moses in exile far away from you for decades or never having known you. We pray that you would intersect with our lives now, that you would come to be the one who stands before us face to face, that we might know and see the living God who was and who is and who is to come, that these might not be dead words on a page, but these would be your living and active spirit moving in our lives to call us out of our darkness and into greater freedom in you, that you would take the burdens off our backs and let us walk as those who have the inheritance as sons and daughters of God Most High. Would you come now and fill us up in this way? In your name we pray, amen. I invite you to have your Bibles open if you have them. If not, there should be one in the pews in front of you, or feel free to listen along as the church has always done. But we're going to go back through the text a bit together this morning, and it is a big, beefy text, so sometimes having the words in front of you helps. We're going to start by looking at how Pharaoh takes hope away. God gives hope to his people in chapters 3 and 4 of Exodus for the first time in centuries. They've been enslaved, they've been oppressed, they've been going through genocide as we talked about in chapters 1 and 2 to open our series. And God for the first time gives them a word of hope. The opportunity to think that something different might happen. But as God expects, if we looked back to chapter 3, Pharaoh's not interested in what God is interested in. He's not interested in giving up the power he has over these people. He's not interested in the societal change that we need to come along with that, the reckoning, the justice. He's not interested in stopping oppression or even giving just a little bit of rest. The text invites Pharaoh to just give them a break, just give them a little vacation, a holiday. It doesn't even say the full request of let my people go. It's just give us a break. And Pharaoh says, no. Not interested in that. Pharaoh responds to the hope that God has given his people for the first time with efforts to keep them from lifting up their heads to see it. He's trying to keep their heads bowed down. He does at least three things to make them hang their heads in despair that would likely make any of us do exactly the same thing. First, he mocks the God who promised to deliver them. Verse 2, what does he say? Uh, The Jesus Storybook Bible maybe says this in the best way, where Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's response is, God, never heard of him. Don't care, right? Not interested. Who is he that I should listen to him? Furthermore, I'm not going to, no matter who he is. A powerful person, maybe the most powerful person in the world at that time, dismisses out of hand the exact entity and person that Israel had just put their hope in. 
as saying, this person is worthless. I've never heard of them. How could they possibly do anything for you when I, the most powerful person in the world, have never even heard their name? Makes you lose a little bit of hope. Makes you think that maybe the person who is going to save you doesn't have as much power as you thought they did. He also doesn't just dismiss God out of hand. He makes hard work impossible in verses 7 through 9. He takes away the resources that they needed to make the bricks they were required to make as slaves, and yet he demands that they produce the same result. He takes away all of their supply and says, now you still have to do the exact same amount of work. You still have to produce. This would obviously create stress, anxiety, panic, That's what we see the people sort of doing. They are scattered, verse 12, throughout all the land, trying to scrounge any little bit of resources that they can. We can imagine the stress of that in our lives, maybe in our work, maybe in our school. I can say I used to work at In-N-Out when I was younger. Praise God for In-N-Out. I I don't know if there are any Californians in the house, but I used to work at In-N-Out and I would make French fries. I could imagine the stress that would go on in my little 17-year-old brain If my manager told me, for today, you have to go find all the potatoes that we possibly need, panic would set in, right? How do I get enough potatoes before, right? That you can imagine that, except I was employed, I could have walked off the job. These were slaves. They didn't have a choice to walk off the job. This was just your requirement. You're still supposed to do this. Figure out how to do it yourself. It's a cruelty, And the cruelty extends in the third way that Pharaoh tries to take away hope by letting their taskmasters uh, harass and beat them in verses 13 and 14, harassing them by keeping up the pressure to perform every day saying, what's wrong with you? Why can't you figure this out? You're so stupid. Just get it done. They're doing exactly what we've seen happen in campaigns of oppression over and over. Not only do they demean you by making you slaves, making it hard for you to do the work, but then they insult you for not being able to do what's impossible to do. They tear you down not just physically, but internally and emotionally. They do beat them physically as well, though. They beat the supervisors, the people that were in charge of organizing the people. These were Jewish people, Israelites, who were put in charge of supervising the work. They beat them for not making their quotas. So now they make violence and fear a part of work that was already slavery. At a base level, it was terrible. It's getting worse than that. And then Pharaoh refuses to intervene when the foremen appeal. The foremen are thinking the taskmasters are just terrible people. Maybe there's someone advanced beyond them that can stop this. Maybe there's someone in power over them that would say, you're right, that's not the way I want to do things. They're saying, this doesn't make sense. You're beating the very people that you're asking to be your slave population. This isn't going to work out, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, it is going to work out. Go back to your work. That's when the bottom really drops out for the floor of their hope. When they realize there is no one else that we can appeal to. There is no other help that's coming in this system. It makes them hate Moses and Aaron for even getting their hopes up. That's, that's really what verse 21 is about. The Lord look on you and judge. They hate Moses and Aaron for getting their hopes up. In these three things, Pharaoh raises the stakes so high for them to ever lift their heads up for hope. He imposes a tragic system of stress and violence on people that were already slaves, adding something that they could hardly bear, 
and making it something that they really can't bear anymore. You could feel their stress and despair if we were in their shoes. If that was you, just imagine that for a moment. You are enslaved, you are being demeaned, and you are being beaten for something that is impossible to do. You appeal and you have no appeals. You are just being crushed. In some ways, we don't really even have to imagine what it would be like to put ourselves in those shoes because there are ways that we live under this exact same system of stress and oppression and violence and cruelty ourselves. Not exactly in the same way, but, but derivatives of the same thing. You might experience this at work. Budgets are getting cut. Credit's getting tighter. People are quitting. They're getting let go. And the goals aren't being changed. You're still being asked to produce the same thing by the end of the quarter. You're still being asked to keep the same levels of safety and rigor and whatever else it is. All the continuing education, all these things, you're still supposed to do that even if you don't have budget for it. You're supposed to pick up the slack. We're not allowed to miss a deadline. We're not allowed to miss earnings. We're not allowed to miss a launch. You just have to do it. We might experience it outside of work in our relationships, in our health, in our school, in our parenting. We definitely experience it at church, this system of you just have to make do. We say to ourselves, it doesn't matter if we have less time, energy, or money. Things still have to get done. It has to get done at the same level. We just have to tough it out and do the same amount. We don't have the option to not perform to not achieve. We don't have the option to not work harder. We don't have the option to not provide for the preferences of the people around us. We have to do what people expect of us. We have to please people, even if we actually can't. It's just what people expect of you. It's what you should expect of you. It's what God expects of you, we say to ourselves. Who are you if you can't perform? What good are you if you can't do these things? You can't let us down. You can't let them down. You can't let yourself down. You have to meet expectations. You have no options. You can almost hear Pharaoh's voice in these things, can't you? You're lazy. You should just work harder. The problem isn't the system. The problem is you, so go back to work. You won't be given any more resources. You should just toughen up. You still have to deliver. Just get it done. Sounds a lot like Pharaoh. There's no grace there. There's no option to adjust to limits to losses, to things that don't go as planned. This is a bricks without straw paradigm and we have definitely encountered it and we probably even put it over our own shoulders. We probably put that burden on our own necks that we have to meet so-and-so's expectations. We have to be nice when they're here. We have to be quiet when they're around. We have to do these kinds of things for that person at work. We always have to keep up this kind of programming at church. We always have to look this way when we're at church. We always have to talk this way. We, we can't miss expectations. 
That's a bricks without straw system. Do more with less. Get it done no matter what. This, I want to be clear, is not a gospel paradigm. Do more with less, whether spiritually or not spiritually, is not a gospel paradigm. It's a slavery paradigm. Only slaves are not free to say no. Only slaves are not free to have reasonable human limits. Only slaves are not free to say, we don't have enough to do that. Or we experience this loss and we're not going to be able to do these things in the same way. Or that's just not quite the energy that I have. That's not the personality that I have. That's not the background that I have. No limits is not grace. Not by a mile. Living an unlimited life where all you have to do is meet expectations is a slavery paradigm, not a grace paradigm. Even if it's done in the name of grace. Even if I'm doing great things for Jesus or I'm keeping my moral life together or I'm performing in this way so that I feel safe or so that other people see the right things or so that my kids get exactly what they need or my parents get exactly what they need. This, this not being able to miss expectations kills us. We enslave ourselves, even if others don't do it for us. Friends, where have we smuggled a bricks without straw slavery mentality into our Christian life? Where have we baptized it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and called it holy? Where are we practicing the slavery of a life without limits that can't allow setbacks, that can't allow losses, limitations, failures, and calling it faithfulness, calling it maturity, calling it pessimism, practicality. Where are we calling it God's way when what we do or say to ourselves, to our siblings, to our coworkers, to our classmates, to our neighbors, sounds so much more like Pharaoh than it sounds like God? where we're just ignoring losses and limits. We're not giving options. Everyone has to meet our expectations. We have to meet everyone's expectations. Where are we doing these things in our lives? In Exodus, God would have us know that a life of bricks without straw is not his way for his people. It is not faithfulness, it is not Christian freedom, it is Pharaoh's way, not God's way. It's slavery. It's what God would bring you out from, not what God would keep you under for the rest of your life. That's what God wants to free you from, is to be a person with limits, not to be a person who can never have limits. Because God's way, in contrast to Pharaoh's way, is to provide for his people to give what they need so that they can have limits, so that you and I can rest, so that we can accept losses, so that we can have a supernatural God who takes care of us, not who is waiting for us to take care of ourselves. 
God helps those who help themselves. That is not the gospel. That is a slavery paradigm. God's paradigm is grace for his people who have limits that can't meet the needs. This is love, to be a human with limits freely cared for by a God who has none. We are trying to fill the shoes of an infinite God as finite, limited creatures. And that has never been God's expectation of you. This is the hope that God came to give his people in Exodus. Not a bricks without straw life, but a life where you can be limited because you have a God who is unlimited. That's the hope that he came to bring. And that brings us to our second point of how God starts to give back hope to his people that lost hope under this exact paradigm, under this exact struggle of not being able to say no, not being able to have limits. How does God give hope back in a system like this? So while Pharaoh tried to keep their heads down by doing those three things, by dismissing God, by increasing what was already hard and making it impossible, by beating them, by stressing them out. God raises the stakes for the hope he is going to give. Pharaoh raises the stakes, God raises them higher by sharing at least four things with his people. God says, chapter six, verse two, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew me. I appeared to them, but they didn't know me like you are going to know me. They didn't know me by this name. That I give to you, to slaves, to those who aren't yet free. I give you to know me in a way no one else has known me before. God would give them something brand new in the history of the world. Second, he says that, that those who went before, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who you, who you might idolize, who you might envy, that they knew the promise of the covenant that I was making with them to give them a land and a future and a hope. But verse 8, you're going to know the sight of it. You're going to see what they only hoped would someday come. You're going to see it with your eyes. You're going to smell it. You're going to taste it. You're going to hear the sounds of being in that place. Pharaoh wants to make you scrounge for straw as slaves. I want to give you land, homes, fields. I'm not just going to deliver you from abuse. I'm going to make you flourish in wide open pastures. And you will see this. God promises to give them the sight of it. Third, he doesn't just promise to give them the sight of it. He doesn't just promise to teach them more of who he is, to share something he hasn't shared before. He says, you won't just know me like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did as a friend, as God. You will know me as your king because you will be, verse 7, my people, a nation. I'm going to change your relationship to me as being my own people that I will bring out from oppressive government. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not a government to themselves. They were susceptible to other greater powers. God is saying, I am going to be the power that sets down around you. I will be your king. You're not going to have to worry about some other king. I will be your king. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't have that. You are going to have that. Because of my outstretched arm and my mighty acts of unstoppable judgment. We'll talk about those next week. 
But fourth, he doesn't just say these things. He says not only that, that, that he, not Pharaoh, is Lord, the God who was and is and is to come. It's the divine name when you see those capitalized letters, Lord, that means Yahweh, God's personal name. It was his way of identifying his, his personal essence, what was unique about him. So the king that was oppressing them, who would call himself a god, and the pharaohs certainly did call themselves gods, that king with all this power was not the king. He was not the Lord. He was not the one with all the power. Not the great I am, not God, something lesser. God's essentially saying Pharaoh for all his greatness is shabby and small and temporary. God basically says, Pharaoh wants to raise the stakes? Fine. I call. I raise you. In fact, I'm all in. I'm pushing back from the table. He's going to do three things to take hope away. I'm going to do four to give you hope back. Pharaoh's going to make it harder. I'm going to make it better. Pharaoh's going to give you less. I'm going to give you more. He wants to raise the stakes. That's fine. I'm going to raise them beyond what he can possibly imagine or bear. Do you see the power that God is putting on display as a ground for their hope to take root in? God gives hope back to his people by throwing down, by being strong and stubborn, saying that Pharaoh's upping the ante is nothing to me. I'm going to do so much more. God gives hope back to his people by raising the stakes himself. And God is not any different today. God didn't stop doing this in the Exodus. He's not less interested in raising the stakes when others or even when we ourselves demand that we make bricks without straw. Demand that we meet expectations every time, that we not have limits, that we not have options, that we not be human. Because today we live in the wake of his raising the stakes so much higher and deeper and wider in Jesus Christ incarnate and crucified. Where we have the hope of knowing God in a way that he was never known before. As tangible, as knowable. You could see him and speak to him face to face for hours on end. He was totally relatable. And given a new name that he revealed that we hadn't known him by before. We live in the wake of his raising the stakes in Jesus Christ where we have the hope of not just seeing the promise of God come to deliver one people in one time from one government, but God coming to deliver all peoples for all time from any governments and giving us the sight of that in Jesus' dying on the cross for our sins to bring us out of our own self-imposed slavery and into the freedom that came by his outstretched arms in terrible judgment where we have the hope of flourishing on a level that we can't even imagine because he is giving us a new land in the new heavens and the new earth where not even death and the grave have a power anymore. We can't even fathom what it will be like in the same way that a people enslaved for centuries could not fathom what it would be like to be homeowners and landowners in a place where they were free. You and I today cannot fathom what it will be like to live where there is no more death and no more grave where you don't break down anymore, 
God is not less interested in delivering. Jesus shows you he is only more interested, that he is only getting started, that he is just now raising the stakes beyond what you can possibly imagine that he wants to do for you. Jesus Christ is God raising the stakes to give each and every one of us hope back in all the ways that we face a system of bricks without straw. He is our greater hope. He is our promise. He is the thing that we can tangibly hold onto and say, that I can put my hope in. That will let me lift up my head when the system says, no, you can't. But the reality is, as this text shows, and Scripture is so real, I want you to see this. It doesn't just say, and then the people said, yes, we're so relieved. Thank you, God. This slavery doesn't matter anymore. We feel great. That's not what happens. They are real. Hopelessness was hard to shake off. Circumstances were still cruel, even when the hope was so great. And that brings us to our final point, how despite this great hope, God giving back more than they could expect, shouting over the top of Pharaoh, the people still struggle to hold on. Verse 9. They struggled to lift up their heads and hold on to hope because they had become conditioned over centuries of oppression and genocide and slavery to lose hope. Now, we've hoped before and it didn't work out well. We hoped after that, and it still didn't work out. We hoped again, you just get crushed over and over, and you get used to hanging your head, to not lifting it up. That's what verse 9 speaks to, a broken spirit. A heart that is less and less able to hold on to hope. More and more beaten down, more cynical, more pessimistic, more hopeless. Like a cracked glass is less able to hold water because it's always going to leak. A broken spirit that's been oppressed for so long is just going to struggle to hold the water of hope. The people had become used to just bracing for more and more pain and loss. If anything, that's what's happened so far in Exodus. Things have gotten harder and more painful. They've gotten used to shutting off parts of themselves, the parts that would hold on to hope because they just need to survive. They're just trying to stay alive. So it became harder and harder for them to access hope, no matter how great that hope was, because they were just trying to survive. They're not trying to hope. They're just trying to make it by. And maybe you can relate to that. I've certainly been able to relate to that. Maybe you've faced some hard things and you've learned to protect yourself just to survive, to, to close things off, to not get too much hope, Forget flourishing. This is just about surviving for me. This is just about getting by. I'm not trying to lift my head up. And you have survived. You are surviving because you're here, but you've lost some of that ability to lift up your head, to claim a life beyond making bricks without straw in your relationship to your parents or your kids, to your siblings, to people here, to people who aren't here. You've become conditioned to lose hope. You're like the foreman of chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. You're just arguing for less pain, not for freedom. They didn't say, Pharaoh, this is unreasonable. Let us go. Slavery must end. They just said, please just don't make it as hard. 
Maybe you've been there. You're not arguing. You're not begging for a life of freedom. You're just asking for just, could it just be a little less difficult for me? You've stopped looking for hope. You're just trying to get by. It seems so far out of reach. So what do we do when that's where we are? What do we make of God's words in chapter 6 in light of the people's struggles and in light of our own struggles? Are these words of great hope just worthless? Are they powerless in the face of what we go through? The answer is no. Because what they show us is not a vending machine God where you press A7 and Cheetos fall out. Boom. Cheetos of deliverance, delicious, go home. That's not what Exodus is showing us. What they're showing us is a God who is committed to not letting Pharaoh's voice, the voice of hopelessness, the voice of oppression, the voice of bricks without straw, the voice of you can have no limits, you must meet expectations. God is committed to not letting that voice be the only one you hear. To not letting fear and hate and evil and despair be the only voices in your head. God's not content to be silent in the face of that. He is content to speak back into the darkness with his light, even if you aren't ready to receive that. Even if his people couldn't handle the hope of those words yet, they were still used to hiding and surviving. He's going to speak love and hope anyway. He's going to fight for hope for them when they can't fight for themselves because it takes repetition. It takes someone telling you again and again and again, over and over and over and over that you can lift up your head before you can finally do it yourself. Hope has to hammer away at hopelessness until it finally gives way. The way that you lift up your head is by someone telling you over and over that you can, that you're worthy of that, that you deserve to not be under that system, that you should be accepted regardless of whether you can perform at that level, regardless of whether you have that background, that skin color, that job, that resume, that friend group, whatever it is, that you should be able to lift up your head and say, I am worthy of belonging, inclusion, dignity, and value because I am made in the image of God but you have to have someone speaking that to you, speaking against all the voices that would tell you, no, get back to work. No, get back to work. God is not going to let those be the only voices that you hear. That's what we see God doing here, starting to hammer away at the hopelessness that they had come to internalize with his powerful unbreakable hope until their hopelessness will eventually give away. So you may be like Israel today. You may feel like, I can't hold on to that hope right now. That is fine. You don't have to be ready to hold it. You just have a God who's ready to fight for you to have it. So that when the time is right, when you have heard enough times that you can lift up your head, that it will be because it's been his voice, his power, his care that is drawing you to lift up your eyes and see that he made you to be something more than this. God's going to keep 
fighting. He is going to keep speaking in hope because that's how he lifts you up. It's not that you're hearing his voice and it's not working. This is how it works over time, through attrition, by grace, by his commitment to not let the other voices of despair take up all the oxygen. He is going to fight back for you. That's the God of Exodus. The God who keeps speaking hope even when we feel despair. So what do we do with all this? How do we start to lift up our heads a little bit from this system of bricks without straw that we either encounter or live under in some way, shape, or form? Well, practically, I'm going to invite you, as we close, to do less. That might be the most terrible thing that I could say to the achievers in the room. Do less. It's almost like telling one of my children, you're tired. I heard someone say that's like saying the F word to your child, is telling them that they're tired. Saying do less to an achiever might be the equivalent of that. I realize that. I'm sorry. But because that's the one exhortation, I'm only going to give you one so that you don't have more things to achieve on. So do less this week as an act of freedom, as an act of hope, that you don't have a God of scarcity who expects you to make bricks without straw. Do something less. It's going to grate against your self-protective instincts to not respond to that email right away because you know someone's upset. To not immediately jump into action because someone has asked you to do something. To not immediately just do because someone asks. To not do it to the level that you're used to doing it because you're afraid if you don't do it at that level, you won't pass. You won't get through. You won't stay on the job. You won't get promoted. Let something go just a little bit less. Let it be adequate and on time. Let it be adequate and a little bit late. Let it be not done as well or as thoroughly as you could. Don't push for that extra performance from someone around you. Parents, don't push from that for your kids just one time this week. Expect that they are not going to meet expectations. Kids, expect that from your parents this week, that just at least one time they're not going to meet expectations. Don't push yourself to just tough it out because that's the mature thing to do. That's what you do when you grow up. You figure it out. Life's hard. No. Put your faith in the grace of God's loving provision for you that he wouldn't ask you to raise the stakes, but that he will raise them for you. That he will give back what you can't do for yourself because you do have that God of grace who can give back what we lose, who is stronger than whatever faces you, who's committed to speaking hope over you again and again and again and again, no matter how many times you fail, no matter how little you have to give, no matter how unimpressive you are, because he is committed to lifting your head up from the darkness with the light of his love and grace. Let's pray. We'd like to leave a little space at CTK for you to respond in your own heart in prayer to God, maybe thanking him for being so committed to speaking hope over you, exactly you, exactly where you are with all your junk today. Maybe confessing the ways that you have lived a bricks without straw mentality towards someone else, towards yourself. Maybe just asking God to give you hope and freedom to lift up your head from that just, just for even a second to think that something else might be possible. Let's pray.
God, for all the ways that we're not ready to receive your hope, keep speaking it. Keep putting it on our hearts. Keep hammering away until we do lift up our eyes and see what you have promised that we'll have in the face of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.